Hey everyone, and welcome to Refinery Life Australia, and welcome to another Tuesday night teaching. If you're looking for a new church, a new church family, feel free to come and join us on a Sunday at 9.30 at 23 T.E. Peters Drive at Broadbeach. We'd love to see you there. But before we go any further tonight, join me in the Lord's Prayer. We, we recite this every meeting, because when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, this was his response. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You know, the Old Testament prophets were primarily foretellers rather than foretellers. They communicated the message of God to the needs of the day. And listen to the major message of the minor prophets is the title of the series we're going to continue working through for the next couple of weeks. And today we're talking about Haggai and rebuilding the temple. The text we're concentrating on is Haggai 1.8. It says, Go up to the mountains and bring wood, and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. The scriptures we're working through, if you've got your Bible with you, open it up today. We should read these scriptures together. The scriptures we're working through are Haggai 1, 1 through to 11. It talks about the command to build God's house. Verse 1 says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, we're in verse 2 now, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not yet come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word came of the Lord, came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? In verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat and do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. In verse 7 now, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. It's twice he said that now, isn't it? Verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains on the, and on the, mountains, on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labour of your hands. Was God calling on this drought? We 
It's a very important piece of scripture that we need to take hold of today. Following World War II, struggling congregations in both Britain and Europe worshipped in bombed-out church buildings. 25 centuries earlier, the people of the restored community of Judah were living indoors, for they'd rebuilt their own houses, but God was camping out in the ruins of the temple. And the voice of the prophet rose and echoed over crumbling walls. In 536 BC, 70 years after the first deportation to Babylon, which was in 606 BC, about 50,000 Jews returned to Judah, led by Zerubbabel, who was of royal lineage, and Joshua the high priest. And this was primarily a religious pilgrimage with the purpose of rebuilding the temple. It had laid in ruins since it was destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem back in 587 BC. The people repaired the altar and they laid the foundation with great rejoicing. But the harassment of the Samaritans, who also gave false reports to the Persian authorities, and the preoccupation of the people with their own affairs soon brought the work to a halt. From Ezra 4, 24 through to 52 and 6, 14 through 15, we learn that Haggai was associated with another prophet, Zechariah, and that these two inspired the returned exiles to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. This was completed in just five years. Haggai and Zechariah had a limited but very specific objective. It was simply to motivate the people to restore the temple. And they achieved their goal. This book of only two chapters contains four messages from the prophet Haggai, dated for the exact month and day of the year, 520 BC, which was 16 years after the end of the exile. There's also a brief historical section, and the book of Haggai gives us the people's reaction to Haggai's preaching. It is a report in the third person, not by Haggai, but by, about him. So someone else wrote this book. He didn't write it about himself. Whoever this inspired writer might have been, he is both exact and he is clear. And this prophecy is made up of five parts. The first sermon, which is in chapter 1, 1 through to 11. After giving the exact date of the event, Haggai made a threefold appeal. He appealed to the mind. Through the appeal although the appeal, sorry, was to Zerubbabel and Joshua, it was through them to the people who said, it is not the time. And God's answer came, didn't it? Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while the house of the Lord lies in waste? Their excuses didn't add up, and our excuses today don't add up either. He appealed to the heart. Consider your ways. God challenged them. Despite much labour, there were scant harvests. There was little to eat and drink and wear. And God told them to consider why. He appealed to the will of the people. God gave three clear imperatives. Go, bring and build. He explained the reason for this. God will take pleasure in it and be glorified by it. And then there's a recapitulation of the whole argument. Abundant sowing had resulted in meagre reaping 
And when the grain was in the store, God did blow upon it. Why? The answer was that they they did not put first things first. They did not put first things first. They had their, the order of their family and the order of their, their wants and needs was all wrong. While God's house lay in ruins, they built elegant houses for themselves. Because they neglected to build God's house, he withheld the dew and the rain. And this was for their sakes. Drought brought disaster. They must blame themselves. And then we have the historical interlude, which is in chapter 1, 12 to 15. There's a little bit about the history here. Here the writer gave five results of Haggai's first message. The leaders and the people responded with obedience. The people felt fear. The prophet received encouragement. The Lord gave his approval. Verse 14 says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. Their God. Amen for that. They were stirred up. The leaders and the people responded with work. They didn't wait for someone else to do it. They responded with work. All of these responses were carefully dated. And then the second sermon, which is in chapter 2, 1 through to 9. After the exact date of Haggai's second message was given, and those to whom it was addressed were named, the prophet did three things. He recognized the difficulties. Were there not some among them who had seen the temple of Solomon in all its glory? They did not see the house being erected as nothing. He revealed their duty. Governor, priest and people were required to be strong and to work and to fear not. God gave them the reassurance they needed. He said to them, I am with you. He refuted their discouragement. This unveiling of the future utterly refuted those who were discouraging the builders by their backward looking. Don't look at the past. Look what God's got for you in in the future and in the day. He says, I will not disturb the heavens. Sorry, he says, I will disturb the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will disturb all nations. This was a declaration that God was going to break in upon the earth's history in a supernatural way. He was going to disturb the earth's ways. The supreme reason for and result of this disturbing of the universe would be the advent of the desire of all nations. Haggai 2.9 says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Sounds good, doesn't it? The latter glory would be as much greater than the former as the reality is greater than the type and the fact than the symbol. God was unveiling something of his plans for the future to these builders. They were not going to be discouraged. God's methods don't change, but they do progress. Consequently, it was wrong to be wanting after things that were in the past. It was the utmost foolishness for their 
were greater, much greater things ahead. Those who walk with God never go backward, for he is ever moving on to glorious consummations. Then we come to the third sermon. It's in chapter 2, 10 through to 9. After the exact date and occasion were again given in verse 10, Haggai challenged the people by an appeal to the law. He called them to consider its application and announced God's grace upon the nation. He challenged the people by an appeal to the law. The law isn't bad. We need to understand that it's there for a reason. Since the people were discontented because they had not become prosperous after several months of faithfulness to Jehovah, Haggai challenged them to ask two questions of the priests. First question was in verse 12. If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and with the edge he touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? And then the priest answered and said, no. This had to do with the ceremonial law. In effect, the question was, can the holy make the unholy holy? It cannot. And the second question was in verse 13. If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. In other words, the question was, can the unholy make the holy unholy? And it was a clear answer of yes, it can. Two principles emerge. Holiness in people is not communicable. Our salvation in people is communicable. He called the nation to apply these principles to themselves. The prophet said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. The call is twofold. In verses 5 through to 17, the people were asked to consider the 15 years they'd neglected building God's house. The ground and its produce had been affected through their sin. Solution had been communicated. Their, their problem, their uncleanliness had been communicated. In verses 18 and 19, the people were asked to consider three, the three months for which they'd been in harmony with God. Adversity had continued for them. Because sometimes that happens, right? It, it was a case of holiness being uncommunicated, unshared. He announced God's grace upon the nation. And this sermon ends with Haggai 2.19, where he says, From this day I will bless you. These are words of undeniable grace. All that we receive, we receive through God's grace. And then the fourth sermon's in chapter 2.23-23. It says, as with the former sermons, the date and the event were given. Haggai was very specific when these things were happening. The fourth message is different, however, in that it is addressed to one individual, Zerubbabel. Here God, through his prophet, revealed a program. Two things were revealed about it. The plan was in verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. Everything that follows is included in this great initial utterance. God was reaffirming the plan he spoke in the second sermon. He was reaffirming it. 
He was going to disturb the universe. The purpose was both destructive and constructive. God would overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. This is referring to Satan's throne. God would destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations. The second result comes from the first. The destruction of the chariots and those that ride in them, it says, simply means that militarism would destroy militarism. War is not the right answers. The constructive purpose concerns Zerubbabel. In that day I will take thee, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee. Since he said in that day, this could not mean while Zerubbabel was alive. This reference to one, sorry, the one, who should come through the line of David, David's great son, who disturbed the heavens and the earth, will yet again break into the earth's history. For he who came comes again. Jesus has come before and he's coming again. The moral of the prophecy of Haggai is this. When in disrepair through disaster or neglect, a church building must be rebuilt to save the whole life of the community from demoralization and to point it towards its destiny. Let me encourage you, as I do every week, to be diligent with your Bible study time. You know, if you read your Bible for 12 minutes a day, you'd read the whole thing in a year, give or take a little bit. Be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us than we can get from just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him and He can make you whole, spirit, soul and body. And you're important to God. You know that already. But you're also important to us at the refinery. So when it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal his promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about and need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. And we are believing that this year, 2022, is a year of repentance and of blessings. So I encourage you, if you want to see those blessings, start repenting. And until next time, Stay in the blessings.